If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travlini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. What's up, everybody? It's MJ. Welcome to season four of the Black Wine Guy Experience. My team and I are excited to continue to bring you the enlightening conversations and brilliant wine suggestions you've come to know and love. And trust me, this season's guest list is epic. And for the first time on the show, I've partnered with some incredible winemakers to bring you, my listeners, a unique opportunity to purchase some bottles that you may not have been aware of or couldn't find, but you will be able to get them soon. All right, everybody, in the words of the BC Boys, kick it! Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, hey, everybody. What's up? It's your boy, MJ, and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today was named one of the 50 most influential women in the wine trade, a Georgetown graduate, a Yale graduate, Fulbright scholar in Russia and Georgia, recipient of both law and master degrees from Yale, an author and founder of Tasting Works, Lisa Granick. Uh, she was born and raised in Philadelphia studied foreign service at Georgetown before graduating from Yale Law School, and then she taught at her alma mater, Georgetown, as well as Moscow State University and the Institute of State and Law in Tbilisi, Tbilisi, Georgia, as a Fulbright Scholar, which eventually earned her a doctorate. Uh, with a longtime passion for wine, she developed a curiosity and a knack for the nuance of winemaking, wine production, retail, import, and distribution. In 2006, she became one of the several hundred masters of wine in the world, and at that time, there were only 299. In 2010, she established Tasting Works, which offers tailored go-to-market strategies for wine regions and family-run wineries seeking to develop brands to enter and or improve their penetration in the American market. She also spent time as a professor of wine, beer, and spirits at the New York Institute of Technology from 2013 to 2015. Her multiple speaking engagements include the Smithsonian Institute, the Cité de Vin et Civilisation in Bordeaux, and numerous conferences. Uh, she frequently judges in wine competitions worldwide. Her writings on wine have appeared in publications such as the Sommelier Journal, The World of Fine Wine, and The New York Times. And her book, The Wines of Georgia, was published in 2020 and is regarded as the definitive book on the subject. 
Her annual Granix Guide to Georgian Wine was released in 2021. Woo! Welcome, Lisa. Is there anything else you'd like to add? I'm open for your questions. It's <laughs> not sure what there is to add. Well, um, let's start. Tell us what we're drinking tonight. Okay, so um, I've developed. You know, it's, it's, you never know how um, your path in life can kind of circle around. And when I first went to the Soviet Union, which it was at the time. Yeah, I was a student, and I drank wine. I was actually writing notes when I was in college, but I never, ever thought I would go into the wine business. And uh, and then ultimately, you know, fast forward more than 20 years later, I end up finding that my background in Russian area studies in the Soviet Union um, matched, you know, merged very well with these up-and-coming wine re- regions in the Caucasus. And I found that I was able to put, you know, I had left the Soviet Union and Russia long, be- long behind, and all of a sudden here I was able to use my language skills and my understanding of the history and merge it with wine. And, and so I brought three wines, two are Georgian, one is Armenian, to show you, you know, these are some of the, you know, they are, both countries have indigenous grape varieties, Vitis vinifera, uh, that they make in different styles. And so the first wine, the first two wines are from a winery called Capistoni in a region called Cartley. And basically 70% of the wine in Georgia is made in the east. Okay. And Cartley is, to my view, like the new up-and-coming region. It's very close to the capital. And it's a little cooler than Tbilisi, than, than, than Kakheti in the east where it's really hot. So they have different grape varieties and cooler temperatures. And uh, they provide you know, they're very crisp, appealing wines that are easy to drink and with you know, just because a grape variety is indigenous or unique doesn't necessarily mean it's interesting or delicious. And so thank I, you for saying that. <laughs> oh, like you, know, right, you, you see people say, "Oh my God, this is the coolest one." No, I know. It's this obscure thing, right? Right. And it and, it's, it, and I made it naturally. And, oh yeah, yeah, right. And okay, but it smells like you know, it yeah. smells like a wet mop. Exactly. And it, and it tastes like dishwater. Yeah. And yeah it's in, you know, okay, it's interesting and it's made badly. And no, this is not terroir. This is dirt. <laughs> okay, so but no, these wines are actually the Capistoni wines. They're all made in Kvevri, mm-hmm. in the in the clay vessel, the terracotta vessel, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, it's you know it's a, fa- a relatively small family winery. I brought you know two different wines of grape varieties that I really like. One is Chinabuli, which is also called Chinuri. That's the white wine. That okay. We have. Or the it's, technically it is an orange wine. I was gonna say it's it's really golden in color. Right, because <clears throat> it spends time it spends time um, on the skins, and you'll feel that tannin. But you know it's it there's a very there's the Georgians have been working. Um, and and Nico in particular, you know, I, I've talked with him a lot about how he's making his wines, and he he actually spent some time living in the states, so he understands the world of wine and what the competition is. And he's not one of these guys who said, "Yeah, I just watched my grandfather," and he understands what the world is looking for, and that you can have old traditions and still make fine, in- engaging, delicious mm-hmm, wines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the t- you know the, the tannin in this wine is not going to be really aggressive and chalking as you can get in a lot of those a lot of orange wines. Yeah, um, it's really interesting for me. It's like a full circle thing. Uh, when I first started in the business um, in '97 at Acker, um, actually, we just dating a woman from Georgia. Were you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, she was like, "They make wine in my country," but I I think they were, she was drinking the stuff from like where it was warm, like the sweeter. Mm-hmm. Stuff. Well, that was the stuff they sent. They and that's what that's what they sent over at that time, right? That's what, yeah, because 
uh, because that was the in, in this in the twentieth century, Georgia was made the country to make Georgia and Moldova were the factories to make wine for Russia. Okay, and Russians have a sweet tooth. You know, Cristal was originally a sweet champagne made for the Russians, right? So that style of wine was made for them. And then when the Soviet emigration, the people came here, they demanded those wines and mm-hmm. the, those wines were sent. You know, Armenia, in contrast, they were forced to make uh, brandy. Mm. This is going to be such a dope episode, y'all. <laughs> it's probably, probably the, I mean, we have super smart people have been on this podcast. <laughs> I, it's just, I think there's so many smart people in the world of wine. It just, because if you're, in, it feeds that intellectual desire. Like you can't never know it all. You're a master wine, you know you don't know it all. No, know? I saw something. There was a hilarious. It was on Facebook or you know, the internet the other day. It was on Twitter. Somebody showed it to me, and it showed this graph of how somebody who you know they start to they they take their first certificate in wine and they think they know everything, right? And then they keep studying, and their confidence level just goes further and further <laughs> down, right? And then it like it basically gets to the point where ultimately it goes back up, and you become an MW. And the MW begins to feel like it ends up saying, okay, you know, like this stuff is pretty complicated. And I said, I have a problem with this, uh, this graph because, yeah, you do, you do all this studying and this, and then, and I still feel this way. All of a sudden I'm going along and I think, yeah, I, I do know some stuff. But then you go somewhere, you talk with somebody who knows obviously so much more about you and you think, I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And there's this down, you know, you, I, and even now, it's all. It's a field that's always changing. Mm-hmm. New discoveries, new wineries, new wines, climate change. There's, you know whether it's the science and the art. So that's you know that's one of the reasons I love it so much. You can never know everything. Yeah, yeah. That that's what drew me to but it. The people who pretend they do are just really irritating. Exactly. Yeah, that's so <laughs> funny. It's true. I'm like, bro, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know, right? But I, you know, and it's one of those things where. Um, People go, oh, you're wine. I'm like, I'm not a wine expert, man. You know, I might know. I, I, I don't consider myself a wine expert. Um, I know enough. Mary Ewing Mulligan said that, but she's like, I know you know enough about wine to sit here and have a conversation with me. So that's a compliment coming from MW. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there is something that would. I don't like the word expert, and I don't consider myself a wine expert. I'm knowledgeable, and I know that I know a lot. There are lots of things that I know. I, I, I probably have forgotten more than I more than I know. Yeah. And winemakers have their own area of expertise, yep. and you know, and so forth and so on. Right. And yeah, I am. I feel like I am conversant to a point. Right. 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 I love it. I love it. <laughs> so we like to start at the beginning. Um, what was it like growing up in Philly? Well, I I, I still love Philadelphia. Uh, and uh, and I, but I grew up. You know, my mom went to Overbrook High School, so that's why when you're going oh to when you were talking about that's sports, classic so, high school. Well, and Will Chamberlain was a classmate. This is this is sort of, you know, this is West Philly, Overbrook. That's that was my neck of the woods, and 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 I'm still you know friendly. My father was a pharmacist and had a place on an area. It was called Spaghetti Bend. So you know, we would go to the Italian. My father was an honorary member of the Italian American Democratic Club. No women allowed, and wine was Pinot Grigio, whatever the wine was, was served in little tumblers with, yep. with ice cubes, and and that was that was my introduction to wine actually. But I and I, I and I then we, my parents, you know, I won't well call it white flight, call it what it is. Went to the burbs for me to go to school, and I was miserable. I hated suburbia and no, and, no flavor. <laughs> nah, my and my parents were actually city people right. and. So our lives revolved around always going back into the city. Right. 
and the vibrancy, the music scene in Philadelphia. There's you know the art, whether the arts. It's a it's a conservative city in many ways, but it's a very musical city. Yeah. And and certainly for you know me growing up rock and roll. Right. Uh, it was it was a great place to be. Yeah, I um, I lived in I lived in Philadelphia. We have something in common. I also am a law school graduate. Right. Not as prestigious as Yale. Well, Rutgers is a good school, but it's Rutgers not is a good school. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was at Rutgers Camden, so I was yeah. uh, across the river, and then I lived in Philly uh, for a year afterwards. And um, I agree, Philly. And this was uh, this was the nineties. Now, like, and I, you know, I never really spent time for it. Like, it was like I said, it's very, it was very blue collar town. Like, it was. Very I was like much. amazed. I was like, I was like, this town's kind of really. It's like. You know, like it's like first generation, like in the '90s, first generation. I was in school with first generation white kids who were the first person in their family to go to college. Like that's the South Jersey kind of Philly thing, not this little kind of bubble. That's how I be, grew up. You know, so I know what you mean. Like, and 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 when I went back, I had left. I left like in '97. I went back in '04, and the city had changed. I can only think what it, the city must look like to you, having grew up there. Like, because it still was like Philly was like. Like, if you guys, Philly's become, like, the food scene's way better, like, like fine dining's way better, um, and they had all these factories that are now lofts, they're all super expensive, but they, right. those were just burnt out graffiti buildings right across from Camden on, right on the water, you know? You know, it's, it's still a very, it's still a tragically sad city, to be perfectly honest. I, I would agree. It's, it's, re- it's really segregated. Yep. Yep. And this this conversation can go in a you know really it's it, it's everything that's just gone on with the fire at the row house. It's a very segregated city, and and curiously, you know, there's a lot of Trump America in the city. You know, we think about the urban areas as being. No, that's right. what I'm saying. When I was in law school, and like yeah, these guys were like some of these people. He well, wasn't around, but like the political views we espoused, like. Absolutely. I was, you I, was know, like, oh, oh. I was like, you live in a city? Yeah, no, no. My, my, <laughs> yeah. my, my, my sister, my, I, have a, I have a sister who still lives there. You know, she's on the main line. But yeah. she was driving like in places where we were living. And she said, said to me, she, she knew what was going to happen in not the Biden election, right. the earlier election. He should not be named. And she said, I could see the red signs, you know, all the area we grew up. And so, yeah, I go back there and, and, and I, I, I look back. I have traveled very far from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there are people with whom I grew up um, that weren't – they're not pretentious people. Right. They're real honest people. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, my father died very recently. I'm and sorry. I've got no, – that's all right. And I, I got tears shed long ago. But I, I, I caught up with people that I worked with at because I worked with my dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they – they liked me for who I was. There was no pretense. It wasn't where you went to school. It wasn't mm-hmm. what you did. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I really, I always felt very comfortable in that environment. And, you know, there was no posturing. And I I, uh, I look back on Philadelphia, you know, fondly with that. And then, you know, I, I go to the Jersey Shore in the summer, and there's still a lot of that there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, if we're talking about Philadelphia, let's, let's get down to the really most important question. Where do you get your steaks? <laughs> and 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 that's that's for you guys. That's a cheese steak for everyone listening around the country. It's called a steak. Well, that's you don't go like I want a cheese steak with. <laughs> but you know it's it, it's funny because you know Pat Pat's was always. I grew up going to Thunderbird, which is still there. In it's in Broomall on okay. Westchester Pike, and Pat's is famous. Right. And 
you know what? I don't. It's not that I even eat cheesesteaks much anymore, but hoagies. Hoagies is White House in Atlantic City. <laughs> White House is. It, oh, I've seen period. them. They've been on like all those shows, Food Network shows. White House like, is yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we've done taste tests. I'm telling you. And and the thing is, in the hoagies, the best in Jersey because it's all about the water and the bread. Well, there's yeah, there's, so, yeah exactly. Um, there is a good spot in Philly. I don't know if you've been. It's called a uh, Pizzeria Badia. No. Um, I'm going to get him on there, this guy Joe. He wrote a book called Pizza Camp. But he he makes actually really good pizza. And we'll get to the pizza because you know about pizza because we both lived in New Haven. So, um, right. But he makes a really good pizza as someone who lived in New Haven. Um, and he also makes hoagies. Like he has, really? he's got okay. a, they got a whole hoagie room at this right. place. And they got good wines. Like they're, they're, like they're, Where do you get – where do you get water ice? I don't know, man. I wonder if he's getting the water. Uh, water, from, water ice. Maroney's. Yeah. It's the only place. Maroney's. Yeah. Um, I was Jim's. I was Jim's for my uh, South Street. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I, I forgot I, about and, Jim's. And, 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 and this is the, the kicker. Like you, these, are, these are certain things where you have to have like the most processed thing. Cheese Whiz. You get, I get a steak, onions with Whiz. It's the only way. The only way. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way. <laughs> See, that's why if you come from Philadelphia, you just can't be pretentious. No, no. You just can't. No, no. Um, but, it, you know, like I said, they got some cool places. Like, I go down there because I obviously I went to law school down there and I'm friends with some of my professors because I was, like, research assistant. And uh, there's a good Montreal bagel place. Like, you, like it's the only place right. around, like, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if there's any Manhattan. But this guy down there is making some killer Montreal bagels. There are a couple of new ones that I've read about. Yeah. Lately, haven't yeah. Been. They're, they're good. Um, so, you know, next time you're down, check check out. The, yeah. Um, so you mentioned that your dad, uh, you know, he was he was an honorary member of the Italian American Men's Club. Um, Democratic Club. I'm sorry. Italian American Men's Democratic Club. Well, it didn't have men in the title. It was okay. just the Italian American Democratic Club. Oh, so there you go. See? And, and, yeah. and how timely is that when... Voting rights was shot down <laughs> as we record this. Like it wasn't, it wasn't even. It didn't have to put. It, it doesn't say men, but there was no women allowed. Right, right. No, well, women could go in, but you had to go with the male member. That was how we got in. Right. Um, was there a wine culture in your house, though, outside of like Pinot Grigio and little tumblers? Not really. Uh, no, not really. Uh, you know, we had no. I, I did not grow up with wine. I. Um, discovered wine or decided to explore wine when I was in college. And I was lucky that when I was in school, I was in, I went, you know, you went, you know, went to Georgetown and DC, the drinking age at the time was 18. So I was able to explore at a relatively early age. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> what was that like? What was Georgetown like? Uh, and let's talk about some of your explorations because like, you know, D.C., it's an international city because of all the uh, embassies, dim diplomats. So it's always kind of this food scene. And great wine shops down there, like iconic Calvert. D.C., look, D.C. is also a tremendously segregated city. Yes. Okay? But, and it was, certainly was. I mean, Georgetown, everything set up. Come on, it was set up. We remain segregated. Adams Morgan. Totally. Adams Morgan was the one really cool place yeah. when I was living there. Um but the wine shops were great, and that was one of the ways I got into wine was that the laws were quite liberal, and there were wine shops that you could go, and they would have these big tastings on a Saturday afternoon. So especially then when I was a lawyer, I'd go to work Saturday morning and work through the day until about 1 o'clock, and I would quit. And I would, there was a wine shop across the street, and they had you know seven or eight wines lined up, and the rule was you could taste as many things as you wanted, but you had to go in order, and you couldn't skip. You could go backwards. And I would stand there and listen to what people were saying, and I had no clue. It was not until I was then going on that first Fulbright 
And I decided, to buy, you know, it was the, it was after the '82 vintage, and um, I was you know, decided to buy some wine in quantity. And I drove around DC, or I took the metro around DC, to buy looking for the best deals because it was you know, pre-internet. And I found that all these people that I used to taste with at one or two shops, they would take the metro like. They were, it was like it was like you know the wine train, they would use, and they would be going <laughs> DC from wine shop, train. All, go, they were going from shop to shop all Saturday afternoon. I was like, geez, I, like I missed the boat on that one, or at least I missed the train. But uh, so that was it was it was a great place to go, and you know, it was you know lots of wines were affordable. I mean, I was able to taste. I tasted DRC in a wine shop, or you know, and that shit would never happen. No buys popping open in DRC for no. you to taste. But like that's what people don't get, like. I think that's like, you know, I've had, you know, I had John Cape on and he was telling me about his dad, like Michael, like he couldn't sell DRC. Like he was giving it away to corporate clients. Like, like a case of Petrus was like 200 bucks. I'm not paying 200 bucks for a case of wine in the seventies. Even for less money, people, you know, I forget how many distributors wouldn't, couldn't sell Grange, Penfold's Grange. Oh, that's still, but by and by, that's so underrated a wine in my opinion still. I mean, it's right up there with any first group, with any, any. It's a great wine. It's a great great wine. wine. 76 range, one of the best wines I ever yeah. had. Yeah, I bet it too. Yeah. Right. Really good. Yeah. So, you know, it was, it was, I was lucky. It was a place where you could explore a lot of different things and, you know, the 85 port vintage, or, you know, it, it was all these different things. And, and the opportunity was, was right there. And I, I would just go around and listen to what people said. And then, you know, Parker was often distributed locally for free. And I would read Parker and I would say, I would read what he wrote about a certain one. I would think, "Wow, man, I don't agree with this at all." And I and I say I would write it, and, but that was you know that was that at the time. So I you know, but then I thought, okay, well, that's how he tastes. I had my own opinion, and that's and that's fine. And I love that. That's another thing too. Like I don't I don't like people who like necessarily poo poo or shit on Parker. Like that's just his opinion. You don't have to yeah, agree, agree with, with it. it. You sure. don't have to subscribe. And most people don't like him don't even subscribe so he didn't pay for the newsletter so what, what do you care bro but he you know he made wine popular and, and, and exactly that was it he made he, he gave people something to talk about right and so okay he's a lightning rod there was a lightning rod but he raised awareness and he got people thinking and talking and fighting and and you know okay there was there was influence that was bad but there was a lot that was really good and he did raise the profile and look wine is made to be sold and he increased the audience for wine. It's called the wine business, Indeed. kids. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, so what did you – you majored in, like, government down at Georgetown? Like, International relations. So, so what? Yeah. why did you, like, girl from Philadelphia, at least from Philadelphia, why, why did you want to major in international relations? Well, I have this – I have this um, – I've long thought that Americans suffer from what I call the Huck Finn syndrome. So another, we get back into banned books. But if you'll recall, in Tom Sawyer, there's a discussion between Huck and Jim, yeah. and they're trying to talk about you know you know why you know Jim's not a man, right? Or why French? What's, no, it's why a Frenchman's not a man. And you know, and and basically, like a cow. If you talk to a cow, what does a cow say? And you know you can't talk to a cow because cow goes moo, right? And and then Huck says to Jim, yeah, well, if I said parlez-vous français, you know, what does that mean? And Jim says, you know, I mean, basically, no, because if he were a man, it's it's not how a man talks. <laughs> and it just, you know, it's all about the it's all about the ignorance of right. America, absolutely, and other cultures. And I loved. Um, I grew up 
in school, not mm. at home, learning other languages. And you know, they talk. There's all this talk about stepping in the shoes of another guy, but you never really understand how someone else thinks until you try to learn their language. And that's been one of the most mind-expanding experiences I've ever had um, to think about how people orient their thinking. And uh, so I originally did think I would go into government in some way, and Georgetown was a way that I didn't have to take a hard science. I could take economics instead. Um, it's a hard and, science to a lot of people, and, though. <laughs> and 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 take several take several languages mm-hmm. uh, because I already spoke French and Spanish at that time. And, and one of the, how many languages uh, do you speak now? Uh, French, Spanish, uh, Russian is actually my best language, unfortunately. Um, and I can get by if I need to in, in Italian and there, you know smatterings of. I can get by in Georgian, but admittedly in Georgia, most of the time I just speak Russian. It's easier. Yeah. I mean, you've been here with me for like almost 40 minutes. You know, I can barely speak English, so <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Um, but, it, but, it, you know, but it is, you know, I, I think a lot of America's problem is the in the world is that we're too inward. Oh, and, yes. Right? And, and, and you know, it, we should be, at least it's getting on our soapbox, but, you know, America is, is in many ways the world's, one of the world's greatest experiments. And this is the world here together. And what we're either solving the world's, a lot of the world's problems, which are our own problems together, or we're all going to hell. And, um, and we need to... We I don't want to say cheers, but it's cheers because it's true. There we go. <laughs> yeah, so. I hope so. Um, I've, I agree with you. I Like when I lived in New York, like I it, 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 it irks me when people... Um, don't try to understand someone like a, a, a you know someone a foreigner. Like if you if you just look, watch their mouth, look at their eyes, look at their face. You can figure out. You can communicate with people, and you don't like. And, you, and people don't. So many people don't try to do that. They don't try to understand another person. And what's so stupid about it, really, is that you end up. Arguably, it's very selfish because you end up learning so much more about yourself when you learn about somebody else. And and really, the times, all of the times I've ever been abroad, certainly, especially the times I went to the Soviet Union, you come home and, and for all of the faults that this country has, you realize how blessed, how lucky we are that we live here. I mean, look, my, I, it wasn't my family emigrated here and I didn't have to be born here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm very aware of that. I, I remember the first time I came from abroad and... Um... <clears throat> You come through immigration, and immigration, you know, they check in, and they go, they go, welcome home. They said, welcome home, Mr. Tal. I was like, oh, my God, I am home. I'm an American. And it felt good. Like, it actually felt good. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I never thought of America as my home until you leave it, right. and then you come back. I had a great experience. It was that time I was in Dublin, but, like, I was like, wow, I actually felt like I belonged here. Like, welcome home, you know? Um, and it's true. It's an experiment. That's how I feel when I come back to New York now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, um, you finish up at, uh, Georgetown, um, you get a perfect score on your LSATs. I, I made that up, but she probably <laughs> did. She probably did. <laughs> she probably did. I, I she's just being modest. I, I do know someone who got like a perfect score on your, uh, what was it? Their GRE. One of my law professor's kids. I was like, it's a perfect score. <laughs> but when she was like 12, she came to our law school class and she was so smart. Um, so, and then you go to the the house that the Supreme Court built. You went to Yale Law School. You landed in New Haven, Connecticut. So you DC to New Haven, that is, that is a, that's on that uh, 
now it's the Acela, but that's the classic Amtrak. It's it's a Boston yeah. Back Bay to DC is that's a power quarter, particularly for lawyer. I mean, people deals. That's it a power is. quarter. No, it's the best law school in the country. There's yeah. no no two ways about it. Right. So what? Um, like, who was at Yale? Because Yale has like all crazy professors. Like, who who was there? Any crazy professors there? Like, um, what kind of scholars? And uh, like, and 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 then what? Did you have a? You know, first year is just kind of your basic class, but did you have a concentration there when you were at Yale? Yeah, well, I was actually working on the doctorate. So um, I, I studied with Leon Lipson, who's gone, who was a, a scholar of, you know, Soviet law, as it were. And, I mean, who was there? Akhil Lamar is still there. Um, Bruce Ackerman's still there. Um, and... Um, but it, it was, you know, it was... For most people, you go to Yale Law School and you're there at the beginning and you're just in awe that you can't believe you're there. Like, I mean, it's, it's like... You're it's, in awe. It's like, I can't believe I mean, it's I'm, like, I'm, I'm It's like here. the Olympics of law school. It's like, it's like whatever the highest level, like whatever sport, like Yale Law School is it. And so, yeah, there are there are a good number of people in, in different positions, either they're now deans of different law faculties mm-hmm. um, or they're judges on different courts. Federal levels. That, federal mm-hmm. and state level that I went to school with. The yeah. Supreme Court. None of my classmates. Um, but they all do, and, and that's where all, all the Yale kids get the, the clerk for the Supreme Court judges, regardless, yeah, and, and the, the federal the one, court the judges. One thing, the one thing that's really sad that has changed, and I, I look, I haven't been back to Yale recently, but one of the things that really has changed about the law profession, and most of the people that I know who are lawyers that be, you know became lawyers in the, let's just say, before, before the 90s, and it's a result of scal- salaries going up, was that law, Yale Law School was absolutely a place where people went because they wanted to do good in the world. They're really, they're, and, and Georgetown, the same thing. I mean, Georgetown is a Jesuit institution, right. and the notion of public service is very strongly ingrained. Mm-hmm. And and I, even, I went back to Georgetown to talk about the work that I was doing with family wineries. And several students said to me like, well, how do you square what you're doing with social justice? <laughs> what are you doing that in your you know, that is making the world a better place? And I said, well, look, I, I'm working with families that are have had generations of traditions, uh, you know, and this is their land, this is their ethos, and 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 whether it's inheritance laws mm-hmm. or the the way in which the world is getting smaller, there are different things, large corporations that is imperiling their patrimony. You know, and I tried to make a nice story for you know what is a family business, but it wasn't. You know, I wasn't feeding starving children, and that somehow that wasn't good enough. You know? <laughs> Um, <clears throat> very true. But I had a friend. He went to. Uh, he's no longer with us, unfortunately. He died young. But um, he went to uh, Fairfield, which is a Jesuit school. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this guy, serious public service. I mean, like he was a teacher in New Haven public school system. He he took in a young lady, like let her live with him, you know. And she ended up going to Georgetown, okay, grad for for undergrad graduate, and 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 got a degree in government. But like like. Like he lived it. He walked the walk. And, and look, for me, it's it's not a stretch. One of the reasons, if you go to Georgia or Armenia, these are really poor countries. Well, I was going to say it's not a stretch. People don't know, right? These are really poor countries, and um, and with without you know, it's not like Italy has right. They have pasta. They have rice. They have locomotives. They have Olive cars. Oil, they have all these industries. Yeah. These two countries have basically they have nothing, and they're trying to do something to give people jobs. It's their, it is their history, and they're, they're so tiny in terms of world production. 
And what I can do is in some ways give these cultures and they've and look and these are ancient cultures that have survived for millennia and and they're threatened by a very big neighbor and and, and genocide in Armenia and genocide in I Armenia mean, yeah. more than once yeah. right so this is a way of helping these smaller places deserve have a place at the table right no i i hear you i hear you um let's Talk about the time you did spend in Russia and Georgia. Like what? I, that, I don't even know where to start. So yeah. So, well, somebody somebody asked me today, and I didn't answer the question. You know, like what was what was it like being there? And it depends. On, you know, in terms of Russia as Russia, particularly the Soviet Union, I loved being there because, mm-hmm. again, you know, Russian is a very difficult language. I loved having to be immersed in this environment. It was pre-internet, right? I couldn't call home. Of course, I didn't want to call home, but <laughs> I didn't. You know, you, 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 there was no phone service, etc. So, it was, it was, it was fantastic. But I always knew I could leave mm. at any mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, coming from a position of privilege, and then Russia is also amazing because there were so many things that were so absurd. And I loved that absurdity that, you know, you, you, you can read Bulgakov. He wrote this wonderful, whether it's The Master and Margarita or Heart of a Dog, watch the movie. It's great. You know, these things that happen that there's no rationality to it. And you, 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 you can drive yourself crazy. You'll get, you know, you'll get an aneurysm trying to figure out what the reason, because there is no reason. Okay. And so that was phenomenal to experience. Um, on the other hand, sometimes it's infuriating to come back home and see that we share some similar characteristics in terms of our bureaucracy yeah. and 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 it sometimes inwardness and so forth. You know, because we you know the Soviet Union was an international country. You know, it was created in its way. Ours was different, but that was also created in its way forcibly. Okay, and we each dealt with those things in different ways, and so the the contrast of the countries and the similarities, you know, it, it, it's uh, there's a lot of food for thought with that. Um, but the food was terrible. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I lived on potato. I lived on potatoes. I mean, it was it, that's still that shit about potatoes is true, right? Is oh, it? absolutely, it was terrible. It's different now, but let yeah. me tell you something. It was it well, was they got potatoes. all those billionaires. They got all kinds of well, that they weren't there. You know, I know they weren't there when I was yeah, there. Yeah. Now, now it's a wholly different, you know, wholly different situation. Um, and you you mentioned like it was crazy there. There is still some. There's lots of craziness in actually Russia. Um, let's talk about just briefly. You know that that um, only they they can't call it champagne. Only Russian wildlife. That's right. <laughs> that, that, That's right. Yeah. Well, there's this huge. <laughs> this this is like again another thing that the Russians say that is typically hilarious because during the Soviet Union, you know, they made Sovietska Champanskaya. And it was bicycle pump method. You know, it was wine that was made in Georgia or Ukraine or wherever it was, and they they invented the car. You know, it was carbonated like Coke, mm-hmm. and they would take you to the, their fact their factories. They called them factories, and they would say, you know, even the French say that Soviet champagne competes is better than French champagne. Yeah, this, this was a political spat. It was, it was but it, it, it was ridiculous. But it's, it's true. They still call it. They call it. They, they do have a word for it, which is ikriste, which means sparkling wine. But they still call it champanskaya. Yeah, and actually, um, I, there was a law passed that like like everybody who's importing like champagne can't call itself champagne yeah, anymore. Yeah, that's right. They they have yeah. to the actual everywhere else in the world. That's right. 
Except for Russia and America, because you know we're, we we right. we we kind of flex in like American champagne, but like the rest of the world has respect for terroir right. and regions. Right. But like Dom, like they caved. Moet Hennessy caved. It was unbelievable. They they took they took champagne off their label. Yeah. It's crazy. That right. is crazy. The Germans would have bought. There's so many countries they could have sold that to. But you know the French. I could say a, a lot of. <laughs> Racist things about the French in, in a couple of world wars, you know, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Ooh. I'm bad. You might want to edit that one no, out. No, I, 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 listen, we, j- just edit yourself. You know, we, that's why we... I'm bad. I, I, I should have. Who signed the waiver? Someone was like, oh, shit. I made was, a mistake. Was it Greco? Yeah, he's like, oh, I don't know if I should sign this. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I usually do a joke about, like, uh, with the waiver. Like, if you say... Uh, Jansen's Robbins is up. It's going to be on the podcast. Just saying. <laughs> like, um, yeah. I mean, the world is. I mean, the world is a complex and interesting place. And um, you know, this is a safe place. And you know, but we could say we could talk after we're done. But this is a safe place. You can't. And it's hard to offend me. Oh, I didn't think I was going to. Offend no, I know. You. I mean, I mean, and, and I think my <laughs> listeners. I, I. It's funny. I'm trying to figure out my different. But my listeners kind of like that. I do keep it real. Like I. I. I just. And I'm as, as I gotten older, like literally, I I I was like, I I do understand. Someone who ran for president one time did have some great slogans, right? And like, and so for me, I'm like, ah, oh, it's just too much bullshit. Enough of the bullshit. I do agree with that. Like, enough of the bullshit, right? Like, like we're talking about indigenous grapes with your dirty feet. Like, enough of the bullshit, bro. <laughs> yeah, but wait, uh, yeah. Actually, I'm going to leave that champagne question aside. We can talk about it afterwards. <laughs> I mean. <clears throat> Uh, now you want me to go – I want to go deeper because I'm like, what do you think about grower champagne and this and that? And this. Um, so – I love grower champagne. Not every grower. Yeah. Not every grower. It's the same thing. You know, not – not okay, I have a terroir. Not every terroir is a great terroir. I, I, you know, I, I love this. This is refreshing because I, I, I people – we and that's why I love wine is because hopefully people can get together, share some bottles and share some opinions. Um not a whole lot of fights break out at wine tastings because wine's not it doesn't do that to your brain typically, um, but yeah we have these terms that we throw around terroir and 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 then people fight for their AVA or whatever here in the state. I'm like, did you really need to fight for that? Well, the, you know, people end up. I mean, I have all sorts of psychological theories about it, but yeah, you know, there's so many people who, first of all, if you sell these wines, whatever it is, you have an investment in it. You've bought their argument. You want to believe in it. Wine is sold because of a story and a passion. But wine is, you know, in some ways, wine becomes, try the Talqueri next. The, yeah, the, the Talqueri, the middle one. Um, it's one of my, it's, it's a very interesting, all right, I'm going to pause for the Talqueri. It's a female grape variety. So where okay. it's, okay, so it doesn't self-pollinate. And it has to be interplanted often with the Chinabuli so that the when the bees go around, they can they can go to mm. they can go from one That's vine to another. It's a very it's a very distinctive grape variety that I find very expressive. It oh does, my god, this is a it has a red. good bit of Ooh. good bit of tannin, but you know bright raspberry yeah. flavors. I don't want to tell you what you're going to taste. You can decide. Um, but I, it's I a getting, very expressive I mean, wine. Kind of reminded me of uh, like, and this is a. This is a brain thing. We we relate it to things we we've had in the past because you know, but it 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 it's 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 along the lines of um, like a mencia for me a Ribera Sacra. I'm getting those yeah. that type of flavor yeah, profile. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. I think it's a little lighter body. Yeah, but okay, yep. and and the tannins are maybe a little more fine grained. It's not it's not an evil, you know, heavily extracted wine. Yeah, right. 
Um, but very has a very clear, pretty structure. And because of the, you know, it has, like the menthe, pretty high acidity, yep. firm tannins. The wines, uh, you can hold on to them for a couple of years. But I think it's a remarkable wine. Um, mm. But, and 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 it reflects, and it's terroir reflective. You know, if, you know up, in the, up in, you know, higher elevations, much more acidity, more mineral content. In warmer, you know, in warmer, more exposed areas, it will be fleshier and much broader. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, I, I love Tuckery. But, um, mm. but yeah, not every not every terroir is a great terroir. But what I was getting is that people um, end up fighting about wine with an almost religious passion. Yes. Yeah. Um, I just read a book. It was it's actually about racism, but it was it taught how people talk about certain things and they don't realize they're talking religiously. They're not actually talking logically. Absolutely. Right. You know, right. like like if you break it down, like what a religion is like so many like you said arguments of so many things as well right now people are like you're a religious zealot you're not you, that's right you that's know? right yeah they can't <clears throat> and and okay i understand that you know you're selling this wine and you believe in this wine but at the same time you know, there there's another there somebody look in the final analysis with any bottle of wine any glass of wine I can't be in your mouth and know what you're tasting and how this affects your tongue, your saliva, your body chemistry, your and your sense memories, positive, negative. The, you know, those are going to com- completely change. We're going to have completely different subjective opinions, uh, feelings about the wine. Now, there are other th- elements of a wine that are facts. Right, right. And, and we, you know... We, and that's part of what the training is about to say, okay, like because that's why I can say this is a an average wine. This is not a, you know, this is not a great wine, right. whatever it might be, but I love it. Right. Or this is a very fine wine. It's not my style. You know, there's certain grape varieties I can respect a really good example of whatever this grape variety might be, right. but it's it's not for me. And 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 it's very important to be able to articulate whether why you like something or why you don't. You know, I, when somebody says, oh, I can't stand it, and you, and, they, and you say, why? And they say, I, don't, I just don't like it. And yeah, they're professional. So frustrating. Forget it. You know, then they, they, they don't add anything to You can't talk to them because they don't even know. Right. They're, they're not clear thinkers. I, I, I agree. Um, <laughs> it's so true. Like, I tell people all the time, like, listen, the, the thing is, it's just what you said. Um, you could have, you could have, like somebody might not like DRC, and that's fine. Like, like, um, is the wine the the learning is is the wine true to the terroir with the winemaking philosophy? Check, check, check. I don't like that particular wine for me, but I respect it, and it's and I could say I could say that's a really good wine. Absolutely. Not for me, but most people can't. Like you said, there's just like, that's right. and and that's the worst. People think they're like, oh. you know, you like, oh, you like Rhone wines. They're they're too high on alcohol. I'm like, well, that's those grapes. Like he like don't just throw up your hand. You don't have to like it, but you don't have to be like. Oh. That's right. Besides, I mean, if everything was the same, I mean, that would be really boring. <sighs> but you know, that's you know. You know. <laughs> Come on. Come on. You know what? Um, I'm gonna we're gonna take a quick break, sure. and then we'll come right back with uh, more Lisa. I'm just having too much fun. <laughs> All right, are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits, or IWS. IWS is one of the hot, up-and-coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taub Family Selections, 
IWS is owned by the Tao family, who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution, where they held court from 1951 through 2004. IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning Vinrones from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. Okay, we're back. Um, let's talk about your career switch to wine. I read that you said uh, life is too short to be consigned to a life of vodka, potatoes, and litigation. <laughs> Correct. Correct. So, um, yeah, I mean, first of all, having graduated from law school, like, like, but you like, how'd you get into litigation? Cause that's like why you want to go law school. Like I want to go to, I want to go to court. I want to be like, I want to be like objection. You know, well, that's like, what, that's what I did when I got out of law school, but I never really wanted to do that. And to be perfectly frank, it's too much agita, too much fighting. You know, you're, I, and exactly. you know what? I just, you know, people want you to do this. And, and, and I just, I just, I realized that I needed to, to acquire a certain skill set. But to do that for the rest of my life, forget about it. You know, I have enough arguments even in my own head. I don't need, to, I don't want to get paid to argue any further. And so, you know, that was when I then went into academia. Okay. But then, um, at there was a point at which, basically, I had this epiphany. I ran into three friends that had been from law school, and they all were law faculty, and they all were miserable. Mm. And one looked like she had walked out of Auschwitz and developed Tourette's, and two other guys, um, what, what, one sat at his desk, um, when, and at faculty meetings, he would sit there looking at everybody on the room in the room and trying to figure out who voted against his appointment. <laughs> and then the third guy was at another school where, I mean, he had, he had, I, we, we had been to Georgetown, he'd been, we had been to Yale together too, he got his PhD in economics, and then he was somewhere where he basically, he was uh, denied tenure, and it was um, racist. So anyway... And he was then go probably going back to litigation. But uh, anyway, all these people were really angry. And I thought, these are my three friends. They're all miserable. Is this what I want to do with my life? And I felt like um, Anna Karenina in a way that, you know, but I, my train had entered the station. And I decided to change trains. I was not going to get in front of it. I decided <laughs> it was time to change trains. Yeah. And I was lucky I was on a fellowship at the time. And, you know, fellowships, it's not a lot of money, but I was able to step back and say, okay, if you're not going to do this, what might it be? And I had the luxury of taking some time to think some things through and try to think outside the box. I can totally relate. I remember <clears throat> she was like the like first day of law school, like orientation. And the dean comes in in our class, the 200 of us, you know, um, and he's like, take a look around. <laughs> These are gonna be your colleagues for the next thirty years, and literally, I said to myself, "There's no way I'm gonna be working with these around these fucking assholes yeah, for thirty right. years." That was the first day; like we hadn't even been to class. Like I was like, this, "These fucking assholes, nah." So I, I knew I was never gonna practice. <laughs> so I can totally relate. Um, but um, so you're on a fellowship, um, and then what happened? I mean, you're taking that step back, and you're breathing. You're probably still tasting wine. Like what? What's... Well, I, yeah. Look, by that time, I'd been, I've been collecting, right? Collecting, drinking, obviously, and uh, you know, I thought, oh, do I, do I you know, be a doctor like my father always wanted? Like I thought about law, you know, all the 
things. And then one day I was literally, I was on the subway and I thought, what about going into the wine industry? And I did a little, little bit of research into it. And a little bit of research for any lawyer <laughs> is way, like people talk about, I do my research on this shit. Like, that's one thing I love about law school is like, you learn how to do research. So that's for any lawyer. For Lisa, I'm sure a little <laughs> bit of research could be a treatise. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 but in the end, you know, it was very easy for me to get a job because at the time, it was it was bottom fishing, and with you saw my C, effectively my CV, so you know I'm I'm a show dog with a pretty fancy pedigree. It was right. It it was not that hard. You know, really, they want somebody who's you know not going to steal, yep. doesn't do drugs, doesn't have an alcohol problem, and you you get things done. And you looked at my CV, and I checked those boxes. Right. So it was pretty easy for me to you know to get a job. And you know, and I went into it sort of. I I, I straddled for a while. I was still doing some academic stuff. On what was the like side. your first wine job? I was working with a small Italian importer. Doing what? I mean, it's just so interesting. Like most people, are like, yeah, you know, like I walked into a liquor store and I like, no. like, what was your? So, how were you working with this importer? Um, I, um, I mean, it was ridiculous because, uh, like, what did I know at the time? Nothing, but I, I knew a lot more than other people, and I helped him write. You know, it was, it was about pro- having. Letting having sales reps have the right information about the, the history of the winery, okay. the terroir, helping them prepare stuff, and then go on market visits with the local distributor to help them sell them and make them. It's really the, the the sales reps would probably think I was a hindrance, but it was to make sure that they paid attention to these got this guy's you know niche Italian portfolio. Okay, right. So kind of, I mean, like it, it education, like so you're taking for that because you've come. It's back. always, it's all you know. It's in the end. I, I, it, it's all about, it is still about education. People, look, there are people, there are, there are people who are going to like to drink wine because of the effect of it. And, and there's sort of, there's certain people who, you know, they get really interested in cars when they need to buy one. And then they don't really care about cars very much. Mm-hmm. And, and some people are like that about wine. And then some people for cars are just a place to, you know, a way to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. And for s- some people, wine is a way to get drunk or to relax. But that once people get hooked, and it's certainly people who are selling wine, it's it's this one percent talking to the one percent of wine geeks. It is, <laughs> and it is. <laughs> and and you have to find a way to both be general and specific and to feed. Mm. In some ways, it's like the kinks. You know, you feed give people what they want. <laughs> right. And uh, but but finding the story, finding the passion, finding the information, um, is is important. So. You said you were you were kind of double dipping. You had one toe in. You know, you're still working in academia. Right. Um, <clears throat> kind of like, uh, did you continue to work with that importer? What was like kind of the next thing? Did you get like a ne- another project? What no, was- I, yeah, I worked with him for a little bit, and and then I ended up working again with. I, I stayed in. I always I stayed mostly in in distribution. Okay. In different capacities, um, often always with some degree of education because I was, look, in the end. I wasn't from a winemaking background. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't work in restaurants. Mm-hmm. I did some. I did work some retail, but I never worked in restaurants. Um, I think restaurants would probably pay me to leave, not to work <laughs> for them. No question about it. So I didn't. I, you know, I, I didn't have that experience. And and, admittedly, I I thought, who am I? Who am I to tell you that I think this wine is good? 
I had I had huge imposter syndrome. And the only way for me to be confident and to say that I can tell you about this wine was for me to become educated. I mean, mm -hmm. you can see my CV. I believe in education. Yeah. And so I have more letters after my name than in my name. <laughs> and and so then you know I found out about the MW, and so it was this path to learn more, to to ask. First, to be able to explain to people why a wine is interesting or why it's interesting to me. And then also, I could see how winemakers will tell you whatever they want, they think you want to hear. And they, and they can figure out how to snow you pretty quickly. And over time, I began to see, like I could see these conversations where I would talk to winemakers and I would ask them questions. And they would see I was really interested and they would give me answers, answers, answers. And then I would try to like dive deeper and deeper, deeper. And then, whoa, there would be this point where, oh, my God, they knew more than I did. And I could see where I couldn't ask that next question and they could snow me. So then <laughs> it became this game like, okay, how can I always up my game to ask the hard questions? Wow, that's that's, uh, that's so interesting. Um now you talked about, um, and we're, I want to get into the master wine, but you something you said like, um, you know, you didn't work. You worked a little retail, but you never did hospitality per se. Right. Um, I think it's interesting that your first job was with a distributor, but I mean, with your CV, it makes sense. You know, like um, how? I'll, I'll wait. It I'll, showed a lack of commitment on my part. <laughs> I was like just checking it out. I wasn't certain yet. It's like double dutch. You're like, you know, Absolutely. am, yep, am, yep, am yep, I going to yep. jump in? That's like right. on the side. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll hold that question because I want to do the master of wine, unpack it. So, master of wine, like, um, who does that? <laughs> Crazy people. Crazy so, people. so when you when you entered the program, there was less than three hundred in the world, right? Yeah, when I there were yeah there were fewer than three hundred. Okay. Now there are four hundred. I know it's not it's not like a whole large number, um, but uh, like what is that like? Like it's daunting. It's it's having a second job. It's having a mistress on the side. It's it it takes over your life, but it's also an extraordinarily invigorating challenging program um, because you realize how vast the world of wine is, how you'll never really master it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and everybody, and we talk about, you know, what is it to be an MW? And you're like, okay, I can have a lot of knowledge. I can be a walking in encyclopedia, but it, that's actually kind of boring because you can look it up. And But it's more about, I have this information and how can I articulate it to you? How can I tell you um, why this information matters, and how can I play around with it, like so that I have the agility to say that, you know, okay, how are Georgia and Armenia different? Because I know them both intimately, mm -hmm. and people would lump them together, and I could say, you know what, actually, yes, they li they live in the same neck of the woods, but there are remarkable differences, and and that highlights how the wines differ, and 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 that brings more, I'll say, you know, color to the party, and but it's 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 really really hard work and it's him and particularly for the it doesn't matter both for the tasting and the theory and then even for the final research paper it's hard to overestimate the amount of focus that is required and dedication to go through the program so yeah so <clears throat> i think i i looked at it at one point i went to the website i was like fuck that 
I'm done with school. You know, like like yeah, lawyer. Sure, yeah. uh, but like, but there are some cool stuff. Like you guys go on trips. Like your cohort goes on trips, right? Like there are some cool. Well, one one of the great things is that you know when you get together, there are a bunch of people, and okay, we've passed this really hard exam, but we've gotten together, and we're all and we're all from different places, mm-hmm. pretty much, and and we and we share a passion for something about which we know something. And and so when we travel together, we actually are can be a pretty bu- fun bunch most of the time. Um, but we're all characters. So you know, <laughs> that's that's one of the things. I mean, I mean, when I I remember when I was studying, there was a, a particular MW who was a Scot and said, you know, when you're writing your theory exam, you don't just want to write like you're writing out of an encyclopedia. You have to have flair. We we're looking and we want to see that you're a character that you're somewhat interesting and you're going to say something that no one else has thought of before. You're going to show personality and so forth. And so yeah, there are people who are definite characters. And I know fisticuffs, but heated arguments. Um, and we, we can have a good time. And then when we travel, the questions that are asked are of a deeper level than somebody who's, you know, like I, I, if I, I can't go on a cons- – I can't go on a consumer wine trip, for example, or, or even you – know, or, you know, or people who have never taken some serious wine classes because it's you – don't, you don't know are, until are, you are know. Are you in the tasting room rolling your eyes? Oh, yeah. I mean you have no idea. No, I hear you too. Yeah. <laughs> You have no idea, especially because I have no poker face, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm bad. I'm bad. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I mean, like, it, I mean, MW is like, so I've had Mary Ewing Mulligan on. I have Michael Jurgens on, who's an MW candidate. Very, like, it's very interesting people. But like, it's like, it's like a bunch of Mensa people drinking wine is like that MW community is kind of like, like, you listen. There's no cliff notes for this shit. Like you, no, you, there's you, not. You, you have to have a certain, like, beyond like perseverance. But like, you got to have the. You got to have. You got to have a certain level of intelligence to even try and do that. Oh, absolutely. You know? I mean, you have to focus. I've seen you some have to have master logic. psalms, and I love them. But you know, but you know, you can, you can, you can, you can charm your way through that one. It's very different. Yeah, it's very different. Right. Yeah, very different. Well, uh, you need writing skills, and you know, there's the argument that you don't. You know, if you don't write, if you can't write clearly, you don't think clearly. And it is a written exam. And you have to write clearly and logically. And then, as I said, there's all this understanding, but you have to understand the application of all of that. I'm sorry, there's all this knowledge. What does that mean? You know, what's the, it's the so what? Okay, you know all this stuff, but what does this really mean? And how do you play around with it? How do you compare one region to another or or large wineries from you know to big wineries, and you need to know about how wine is made all around the world. You can't just be focused on how wine is made in your little winery outside of Salt Lake City, for example. <laughs> I mean, you may be an expert on your terroir, but you know, but this is about broad knowledge. And so, you know, what you're picking up now is is the is the Armenian wine, another indigenous grape variety. It's their leading red variety, the Areni. A Rennie variety, um, and and this is actually made in stainless steel. Okay. Um, and this is really good to have you on here, um, and bring in Armenian wine, um, so people can understand that there are better exports than the Kardashians. <laughs> There's no. No, no question that there are different exports than the Kardashians. Indeed. But I'm surprised they, if they sold some wine from Armenia, that shit would sell like 
Because they can mark, they can I, mark I think, anything, man. I think those conversations may not be that far away, but I'm not privy to them. Um, but I'll just, you know, this wine, the, the, the brand is called Zulal, which means purity. And so I think— That can't be a Kardashian brand, no. That, that. That's, that was my— Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you said it. Yeah. So in any event, but but you're going to get a very pure. There's no oak on this wine. <laughs> the Kardashian wine would be like very California. It would be like really voluptuous, oaky, in your face. There's a there's a Yiddish word, ungapotsk. <laughs> It'd be very ungapots. Too ungapots. Yeah. Yeah. Too much makeup. Yeah. Too much maquillage. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> but you know, I, I think again, you know, Armenia is coming from a very different place in terms of how it, you know Georgia is very much homegrown, yeah. own varieties. Armenia is largely being supported now by spicy, expat, very spicy. Yeah. Uh, by expats or who are repatriating to try to build up, and they've you know they've made money elsewhere in they, the world. They're going. Kim's and they're going. Coming, they're going. And they're coming back, yeah. and they're trying to build up right. this. You know, right. bring back right. their homeland. So it's coming from a very different place. It's going to have uh, this wine must have a huge market in Glendale, California. Uh, actually, yes, uh, California, Southern California, it's Massachusetts. It's Glendale. Yeah. I lived yeah. in. I lived in. Okay. <laughs> you know better than yeah, I do. Yeah, it's Glendale. is is a huge and that you know when we were talking about America, that's what's so awesome. Like I actually worked in Beverly Hills for some time, and like that's when I I didn't know how many Persians had come over with right. Iran. Like like and and. And then I, I worked with an Armenian for the first. Like I was like, I was like, holy, this is really cool, right. you right. know. Um, and it's like the only place in the world that that this exists is, you here. know, here. Yeah. You know. Um, all right. So <clears throat> had to have a little fun with the Kardashians. Um, <laughs> so how long was it uh, actually the whole? How long did it take you to complete your MW program? Um. Five years, four, four years. I started in, two, I, I became an MW in 2006 and started 2002. So four years. Okay. So um, is, it, it, is, it, is, it, is it timed or it's just kind of like a thesis you finish when you finish or like what is it? Um, well, they've, they've, they've actually changed it because there used to be what we used to call um, MW tourists. There, <laughs> right, there, right. there, there were people who there was a lot of prestige in saying I'm in the MW program. Of course. But the truth of the matter is that those of us who participate in education, we do this for free. And it's all volunteer. It's a not-for-profit organization. And you want to put the time and the energy into somebody who's really dedicated to finish. And so they've changed it so that you can't be in the MW program for 10 years. Gotcha. There are different um, you know, goalposts put into place. To There are certain assessments and so forth. So when I did it... Um, you know, the first year I took the exam, I passed the, the tasting. The next year I passed the theory. And then there's a final paper that you write. And you have to – I forget what exactly the rules are now, um, but you have to have passed p at least part of the exam, either the theory or the tasting, to move on to start your final paper. Delicious, really silky. Silky. Silky, but, but still with fresh, with fresh but, 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 yeah, acidity but, but, and spicy. Right, yeah, but good acid, but like – Really silky, so, silky soft tannins, yeah. mm -hmm. very you know, very elegant. Yes, uh, and very approachable. Right. I mean, so like for for people who like 
if you're at a different level, the best thing, I mean, these, for most of you, like, if you, like, if you haven't tried, like, like a Minthea or Ernie's, but, like, you're going to think, think, think Pinot Noir is what I would tell people who are just In some ways, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's softer. It's as soft, I said, right. both of these wines are less extracted. Yes. Um, than wines from, from Spain. Um, it's hot as hell in Spain, though. It's hot as hell, right. <laughs> well, and actually, you know, the, the, this Arrhenia, most of the soils are actually volcanic, mm. but there's some of the highest. I forget exactly what the altitude is, but these are very. The Georgian wines are all anywhere from 600 to 800 meters above sea level. Wow! But the uh, the oh, the wines from Armenia are, are considerably higher. I think it might even and be volcanic, more right? So like, so I was kind of getting like that that Mount Etna little vibe. Yes, you, you get you get if you feel in the mid palate. Yep. Yeah. Right. Um, so. You you finished in two thousand and six. Um, what what is that? When did you open Taste World? What was your next step after getting your MW? Well, I was I was working um, with a large distributor at the time. Okay. Um, and then I could see when the economy was going south, and I wanted I wanted I, I was I, I was done with that business. I wanted to move on and do something else, and um, so I was sort of sniffing around uh, from two thousand eight to find wineries that I had been working with. Um, that I knew were unhappy and mm. and didn't understand the American market because it's a com- it's a complicated market, and and uh, even though they still think that you know they you know they don't understand that fifty states is fifty countries, but in any event, I know, and a they all think system. and they all think and they all think and they all think that they can sit at home and decide what's happening here, and <laughs> but I found a few that often had a connection. Actually, they knew what the MW was, and they allowed me to jump ship. And that's how it that's how it worked. Okay, and then so <clears throat> is that why you created Tasting Works was to, to yeah do that? to work with um, you know I worked with some very very fancy um, initially French wines, okay. champagnes, Burgundies, um, some from the Loire Valley as well um, to you know figure out where they where you know what sort of distributor alignment should be, how should they promote themselves in the market and so forth and so on, what their packaging. I mean everything, everything from not so much at that with the, with the with the French. It wasn't how was the wine made, but certainly how was the wine presented, um, and then with some Italian producers. Sometimes it was tweaking about how the wine is made because some wines were, were too dilute and they needed to do something, some work in the vineyard, make wines that had a little more stuffing, at least for the price point they were looking at. Um, and then within the mix of all of that, um, that was when I was asked to be on this USAID trip to Georgia. To there were a number of so-called wine experts that were <laughs> invited to the country to do a tour of Georgia, okay, and make recommendations as to how Georgia should move forward as a wine industry. And I was asked to be on that trip. And during that trip, the Georgians met me and realized that I had been there thirty years before during mm. a very dark period. And that was when they approached me and right. said, "Would you work with us?" And so that started a, another relationship that has continued. Um, I, I worked with the National Wine Agency for several years, and now I'm working more with some private companies, giving them again advice on what to do in the American market. Um, and and then within the mix of all of that, I guess it was several trips there when I realized that look every I'm a book person mm-hmm. and I'm I lo- I like books reference books and uh, and I thought. Every wine country that matters has a book about it, and there was no book on Georgian wine, and that was when I realized that I was probably the only person who was. You know, look, I was. I thought I'm an MW, and I 
don't necessarily speak the language very well, but I have a long vision of this country and its history. And I realized that I, I looked around and I thought there's nobody else better situated than me to write this book. I should just do it. And so that was when I embarked on that project, really starting in in 2014, 15, and then ultimately you know, got the Fulbright to go over there and do- Oh, that's what you got the Fulbright. The first one was to teach, the first Fulbright was as a lawyer. And the second one was to, the, to do the research on the book. Right. She got two. She got two Fulbrights, y'all. I went to school for theater. <laughs> she, I don't even want to tell you what my undergrad degree was in. <laughs> Not one but two Fulbrights. Yeah. Um, and that's gangster. And <laughs> to study fucking wine. <laughs> Yeah, um, but for Georgia, yeah, but Georgia for Georgia, it was a big deal. No, and, you know, I get it. Yeah. Um, right. Now, did I read on the internet somewhere? Like you don't know, but like, isn't some of the oldest? Like Georgia has some of the oldest wine culture in the world. Is that yes? Kind so of true. Is there some? There's some truth in it. Well, there. there's some look, truthiness. There's truthiness to it. Um, there was a Russian. Now I can't. He's a scientist okay. named Vavilov, who had these theories. Um, he had maps. He had a brother maps. named Pavlov. I'm sorry. I could, yeah. <laughs> I, I could help with somebody. Had, had maps of like where, like, I think he had like five or six different regions mm-hmm. of the world, like where grain was first was developed, mm-hmm. where fruits were first developed. I can't remember what the what the different food stuffs are. And he he highlighted, he had this circle around Transcaucasia, which spans Armenia, um, North I guess, eastern Turkey, Georgia, and maybe part of Syria. I, I forget, northern Iraq, something like that. I can't yeah. remember exactly because it's a rough area. And that is posited to be the history, the development of, of really of Vitis vinifera. There is evidence earlier of wine being made in China, but not 100% grape wine. It was mixed with honey or meat or something else. Right. So, you know, and all of this... Um, is only the science that we know is only good until the next experiment, right? right? Yeah, yeah. But Georgia has the – what I'll say about Georgia and how Armenia is different, Georgia has the longest unbroken history of winemaking that's okay. documented. Wow. They have evidence for 8,000 years of di- winemaking history, wow. wine and wine consumption, okay? Um, in what are, you see in Armenia in the Vyodzor cave is there is winemaking um, equipment that goes back, um, I, I, I want to say it's 6,000 years. It's not quite as back as Georgia. Georgia, what they found are clay pots that have through bee pollen and flower pollen, there's evidence. And as I said, there's evidence of winemaking. So it's in, it's, it's definitely in this region and whatever happened, you know, because um, there's a fellow from the University of Toronto. There was also this, along with Vavilov, there's this theory. It was called the ETC, the Early Early Transcaucasian Culture, I think is what it is. And there's this theory that there were these no, they were nomads mm-hmm. that went from Transcaucasia down probably to the Middle East and ultimately into Eastern Through Western Asia Europe, Minor. all the way down around. And yeah. and they, they were not warring people. And what what was what was was believed that they came to countries. Well, country, they were on countries at the time, but they came to other, you know, they were nomads. They came to new places and, and but they, they didn't fight and they, there, there was no evidence of war. And the reason they were accepted was that they brought something that people wanted. They had the wine. They had the wine, right? <laughs> they, they brought grapevines with right, them, right. right? And that's the, that's the notion. So that, but yeah, so, but it's, so it's Transcaucasia and, you know, both of these countries have 
that, you know, and then of course we move forward to Christian culture and the significance of wine in Christian culture. You know, Turkey and the other areas are are out of the running in the sense just because of the Ottoman Empire and their prohibition. Even if they invented alambic stills, the Ottoman Empire and Islam, which yeah. you know, outlawed the the you know the production of I mean, of, I mean of exactly wine and spirits, and and you know that's where we get Shiraz from. Apparently that is not correct. That's why I'm here to learn. Apparently that is not correct. I don't know where it, yeah, that's a myth. It's, it's just see, it's, it's, see it's, guys, it's, it's an association that we've made exactly. But it's, it has thank you. It has no relation there, to there. You go to it has uh, no relation Shiraz to Shiraz as, as a Persian. Town. Yeah, there right. you go. There we go. Debunked. That's what we do here. We try and debunk shit about <laughs> wine. <laughs> <laughs> Next. I know. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about, I read in your intro, you guys, uh, I did not know there were professors of wine and beer. Sure. Well, um, you know, Roger de Gorn, maybe Master Sommelier. There are plenty of programs. Cornell. Uh, oh, you know what? CIA. I just. Hospitality departments there. And that's but why, I didn't, and I, I, but and I didn't I think I just, of it that way. Yeah. I, I was just a, a buddy of mine. He is actually going to Cornell School of Hospitality. It's a huge class. He's going to talk about his. He's he has a lot of experience with Italian wines. We don't we talk about the expert, but he does. I mean, he that's all he does. He sells. He's got like a bunch of restaurants, and his kid is at the school up there. Okay. And he's like that class. Like it's like I think it was like it's like something like there's three thousand pours before each class because the number of students is like a big sure. lecture, and all the students have to pour. And there's like they taste like six wines. It ended up being like I think it's like 500 students, so it's like 3,000 mm-hmm. fucking glasses of wine. And yeah. then somebody's got to watch them. Wash I was going to say they got a lot of dishwashers. I hope. Yeah. But sure. But all, all any any school that has a hospitality department right. has. Well, I went to I went to state school. I didn't go to like these fancy schmancy schools. Well, there was no professor of wine at Georgetown. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Much less at Yale. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sure the dean was the dean had a a, a nice stash of wine there or the present for I'm, sure. I'm I'm I wouldn't be surprised. You know? Um so what was that like? Because um, I mean, even just talking to you, like you, you're fun. You and feel like, like what's it like being a teacher? Like I've heard like well, that. You know, actually, NYIT was really interesting because most of the time when you when you when you're teaching in the MW program, you're you're talking to you know as you describe them, but you know, wine geeks and people who are really engaged and they've gone to college and um, and so forth and. At NYIT, um, I think a lot of the kids took the class because it sounded like it might be fun. But the 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 kids in the class, there was one white guy, and he was ex-military, and the he was from somewhere in the Midwest, and the rest of the guy, the rest of the, the students, were all first-generation Americans, mm. and they did not grow up in wine-consuming homes. They knew nothing about wine, and they came from all the places that people that immigrate to New York. And I was taking them to places in the world that, you know, they had never heard. It was, it was another world and trying to, trying to get them excited about something. Mm-hmm. They, I think they thought it was going to be you know, like rocks for jocks or something. <laughs> and, 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 and I made them work, which was a whole other issue. 
and 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 frankly, I really thought the students hated my guts, and because I was hard, I'm I'm not an easy teacher, and but I found out at the end that they actually really liked me and they wanted to take me out of the end of class. I was like both times I was like I couldn't believe this, <laughs> but I got them excited about wine, and 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 some of them really got into it, and they they figured out how to study, and they figured out, and and they I opened I opened another world for them, mm-hmm. and because you know wine is associated. With being whether it's a white person's drink or a rich person's drink or you know whatever it would be, okay. MBA guys are changing a lot of that these days, right? Well, I tell, but 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 but, but, it's it's a wealth drink. It's a wealth drink. It is uh, that because I I talk to people, I'm like. Yeah, people like uh, I'm like yeah, them brothers is like all millionaires, bro. <laughs> right. Like they they they're not they're not, they're not going to a wine shop on a Saturday tasting the twelve dollar bottle of wine. Right. Like, like they got signed. That's right. They got someone it's put a, a great a great yeah. bottle of wine when they're like I'm buying that I, I right. have all this money it's, so it's a wealth it's a class right it's, it's a, a class it's thing. class thing right and and uh, but I tried to explain to them that it's it doesn't have to be a but class exactly thing. I mean exactly like like it's as open at the end of the day. You could go buy vodka or you could buy a bottle of wine. Right. It, you, it's that's in right. the store. That's all. And you know, and, and it was actually really interesting because it was wine, spirits, and yes, wine, it, yeah, beer, it, and it was, spirits. It was wine, beer, and spirits, yes. And it was really interesting with, with these kids because per, particularly with the spirits, I would you know have them taste lots of different things. And I would say, oh, this is from this you know, distillery in Colorado. I did all this local stuff gotcha they didn't know and stuff would be blind they wouldn't know where anything came from but when it came down to what they liked the best it would be johnny walker mm-hmm. it would be i don't know um hennessy hennessy <laughs> all yeah you name the big right. diageo yep. brand yep. that has dialed in to what the consumer likes yep. that's what they wanted alizé <laughs> you know whatever it would be right they and you know, and I would say, but 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 I got some of them into the wine. I got some of them into spirits. I got some of them into like whatever beer it would be. I I you know I didn't care. I didn't care what they liked. I wanted them to feel that this was a world that was open to them, not right. closed. Right. And they should feel empowered to go out and say, you know, to say, you know, I know, or even even to say the psalm, you know, to ask a psalm and say, yeah, I've taken a wine class and. I've liked this. I've liked that. I, I, I empowered them to ask a simple question. There you go. I like this. I like that. And what do you suggest? I don't like this. I don't like that. You know, you don't have to pretend you know more, but you can give a little. This is how to give a little clue, and and uh, you know I, they appreciate that. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I I worked a lot of retail, and it's just, it's very interesting how people. Don't want to give you any information. Like you really you want to help them, but they, it's like so hard. Like. Like to get them like I'm, so I'm like I'm like, do you like strawberries, blueberries, or cherries? Like I have to break it down. Like I'm like I don't care what fruit you like. Like I'm trying to help you know. Do you like, you know? Do you like tea? No. Okay. Do you like? Do you know? Do you like? Do you like lemons? I'm I'm trying to give them things yeah. you know. And then you didn't work a lot, but this is the most frustrating question for all my like. And you say to people, and it's again because there are great wines in every price range except for two ninety nine. Um, <clears throat> Um, Victoria James is just like she's like if if you want to spend five dollars on a bottle of wine, just get beer. Don't drink wine, <laughs> unless yeah, it's yeah. unless you're in Spain, unless unless you're in Europe, unless yeah, you're in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that being said, um, you ask someone how much you want to spend, and they go, "Not much. Not much is not a number. Just you could say ten dollars, and I'm going to go find you something. Right. 
You know, I mean, Eric, your friend Eric Asimov, I'm sure, he, he writes a list. The best wine is 15 bucks. But you right. got to give me a price. Don't say not Absolutely. much. You know, well, the thing is that people are intimidated. Yeah. They're intimidated on every level. They're intimidated. They're afraid they're gonna, you're going to judge them for how much money they don't have. Right. You're going to judge them for what they don't know. You're going to judge them. It doesn't – there's so many There's so many inhibitions about wine. The problem is that wine is just complicated. That's the biggest problem. It's hard to demystify it because it is complicated. Yeah. You need to drink more, all yep. the people out there. Um, so you are, oh, my God, just reading the, the, the bio, like you're also a speaker and, and an author. Uh, you, you alluded to the book. Um, how long did it take you to write the book? So I really started um, – look. The book is informed by my experiences that go back to the 80s and the 90s. But doing the hard research on the book started about 2014, and I finished it, I guess, in 2020. So, but it was that the the year, you know, admittedly, there were a few years when I was going to Georgia a lot for various work I was doing. And then I got that Fulbright um, that enabled me to go for longer research trips over the course of the viticultural year to see what people were really doing, to test, to taste wines over the course of their maturation to meet more and more people and travel around the country and see, you know, more that, you know, every time you go, it's, it is a very, you know, it's a, Georgia's a very tiny country. It's a very rich country with a lot of nuances. And, um, and what I've, and, and, and absolutely, I don't even know how many degrees of separation, but the first time I went to Georgia, um, I, there was a woman who was a professor at George Mason and I, you know, I was living in D.C., and somebody said she's the world the American authority on Georgia. So I went to talk to her, and she had, you know, written this book, this article that ultimately was published about how to drink like a Georgian. And she gave me the best advice I'd ever gotten about, have ever gotten about Georgian. She said, "When you go there, and you're going to ask a question, Georgia, Georgians will tell you that something is true. They'll, you know, they'll answer you. They will aver that it is true. They will swear on their mother's life that it is true. Right? And it is not true." And, and, <laughs> And then, and you will ask six people, and they'll all give you that you're going to check your sources. They're all going to say the same thing, and they're all wrong. And no one is going, to, and then, and no one's going to help you find the right answer. Okay, and they don't. And then part of it, she said, they don't because they don't know. Right. In some ways, because during the Soviet period, there's so many myths, so many legends, so much about even for me how much um, I was taught about Georgia that was through Russian eyes. So for me, there was this stripping away of so much myth and propaganda to get underneath what was the truth. And that was really hard. Mm. That was really hard. That was the challenge because often there were things that maybe they don't – they're not positive to the you – know, maybe it had to do with the fact that – like they don't want to say anything positive about Stalin you know, with good reason. But Stalin did a lot of good for Georgia actually. He He – he because he was Georgian, he built the Georgian brand. Georgian wine, there's a guy, I can't think of his name offhand, but he recently wrote a book about the branding of Georgian food mm-hmm. in the Soviet period. And George, and, and Stalin had his chefs and his wines and whatnot. I'm, I'm shipped, sure I'm not the only person that knows Stalin was Georgian. Who's <laughs> listening to this? Like, just got another little fact. Yeah, Stalin was Georgian. Yeah. His, his real name, well, Stalin is ma- ma- man of steel. Mm. Stalin, his real name was um, Yosef Jugashvili. Uh, okay. Wow. So, and he had his chefs, 
and bakers and wines shipped to Moscow. And all of his dinners were catered by George with George. And he was a simple guy from this little town mm-hmm. outside of Tbilisi. And so even in Russia, when you're going in the Soviet Union, everybody knew the best food, even if there is great food, because it's all sort of Mediterranean, Central Asian influence, Tajikistan, all these all these stans, right? There's amazing food and Persian, Turkish influences. No, everyone knew that Georgian food and wine was the best because of Stalin. More than that, because they his, his underlings knew he liked Georgian wine, when they were creating this command economy mm-hmm. and they were telling people what to plant in Georgia they decided they knew which which wines he liked and so they planted Georgian varieties okay now i also think that in some ways it was georgian pride they were georgians making these determinations and in some ways it was like this civil disobedience like we're we're going to stand stand up for ourselves and we're going to we're going to plant our own varieties but there are other areas that did not do that and even in moldova in the 60s when they decided to modernize they ripped every, almost all of their native varieties up and planted cabernet and other french varieties so there was a, there's a lot of georgian establishment of itself but it and it is it had to do with stalin they don't want to admit it. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. But it's true. <clears throat> I just had a flash of a poster. It was like, indigenous varieties of the world unite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, um, we'll, call, we'll, we'll call Morrissey and see whether he'll, uh, he'll record that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, 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 know, you know shoplifters of the world unite, right? Yes, absolutely. So. Um, and we could hook up like some type of NFT and we'll all there be we rich. Go. I'll cut there you in on the deal, Glow, since so, yeah. you came in today. <laughs> <laughs> so um <clears throat> what's your favorite thing to do though inside of this business is it teaching is it is it is it visiting uh vineyards is it is it your writing like is it, is it speaking you spoke at the smithsonian right writing's hard work it is <sighs> writing's fine. a bitch okay um so i have a podcast man. <laughs> Writing is really hard work, um, though in the writing there is – actually, but when you have a project like writing, um, there are times when you you leave it aside and you're working through a problem and, and then you have your so-called brilliant idea or the things come together. There's a synthesis and that's really exciting. Um, but my – and I don't like speaking so much in, in, in large groups. Mm-hmm. I like to feed off an audience. Yeah. You know, I, I like I, I like t- teaching is the most exciting because there are people who are interested, and I and I do hope that I can inspire them to explore something and to step outside of their comfort zone, and and see something and and, and actually empower them to make their own judgments. They don't have getting back to what we were saying earlier. They don't have to like what I like, mm-hmm. but I want them to be open to try something and then even to try something again because some of these wines. Are different, and you know it's like the first time you taste umami, or the first time you, if you've never had beer and you have this thing in your mouth, and what is it? And it takes some time to appreciate it. And you know what I often say is that you know wines are people, or like people, and you know we might meet on a certain day, and you know we might not like each other because mm-hmm. you know who knows what happened to you in the morning, mm-hmm. and you're in a bad humor, and we didn't get along, but and and. And or, or maybe something. Who knows what happened? And, and we didn't get off to the uh, the best start. And maybe the bottle was having a bad day, right? Because right? you know wines go through their phases. Right. So always be open to try something again. Try it first time. Try it again. And then if you're really against it, okay, that's fine. But but keep an open mind. And I I always want people to have an open mind. I try to have one. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I do too. Um, it's hard. It's hard when you get older, you know. But, I know. But Trust remember, me. I I I was talking to my best friend. I was like, "Damn, dude, we're getting old." My roommate from law school. I'm like, I just like I'm just like ah. Sometimes I was like, "Okay, you're being old." <laughs> yeah, but you got you got to remember. I mean, somebody. Minds are like parachutes; they only function when they're open. Right. You know that's. I was like, you, you only need them when you jump out of an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> then my mind is strapped like a. Tra- no, actually, I, I I need to jump out of an airplane. I haven't done that in a few years. Um, so like you've been consuming wine for a few decades now. Um, like what's your deal? What like like you're a master of wine. So like I I. I but everybody like has their favorite. Like, like, what's your go-to? Like, what what is what is Lisa's like? Like, Lisa's just like, I'm a sucker for this. Like, I just love a good this. Um. Well, first of all, I'm maybe unusual. Well, first of all, you know, the wonderful thing about be- ultimately becoming a master wine is that you get to drink what you like, right? You don't right. have to. You exactly. don't have to. Con- you, know, you don't have right. to. Oh, I have to learn what this is. All right, right. right. you can drink what you like. And ne- then I'm going to sound like a really boring wine professional. Because what do I drink more than anything else is uh, white wines, and I don't want to say high acid wines because I think wines. Because that's a, ter- it's ba- ter- it, term it's a trendy of thing. It's a trendy, a trendy, trendy thing, and it's like no, a wine needs to be balanced. The acidity needs to be balanced in the wine. But yes, um, I drink a lot of dry riesling. I drink a lot of cabinet riesling. Uh, I drink a lot of. Austrian and German Riesling, a lot of Riesling, gonna, a lot of. We're gonna Bruner. get you at the next Riesling study. You'll love it. It's just amazing, amazing. But it's not trendy. See, that's that's the thing, though. Right? I love what you so, just said there. Like, you know, there's there's a there's a it acid lead acid is so trendy. There is like a non alcoholic wine now called acid lead that like, yeah, it's, like they're it's like no. Come on, uh, the, well, there was this. You know, there was a company called Acid Inc. And, you know, I got it. But a lot of these wines are, are those, oh, I'm an acid freak. No, a wine needs to be balanced. But but I'm also somebody who doesn't want to drink the same thing every day. So, yes, I do drink, uh, you know. But it's such a, lot, a good, I a mean, lot of but it is so but food a friendly. Of, a lot of Chablis. Right. <laughs> a lot of Chenin. Um, I love Chenin. Lots of blends. Yeah, I had a Chenin. I had a Sauvignon, two bottles of Sauvignon last night with friends. Uh, not <laughs> just me. But I, dr- I, drink, I do drink lots of classic white varieties. Pecorino. I love. Oh, right? my God. Vernaccia. I do know ones. Like, I've had all these type of grapes. Right? I, you know, I, I, liked, I, I love Pecorino. People, love Pecorino. So many people don't know about Pecorino. I yeah, love Pecorino. Torre de Beatti is no, no relation to the cheese. No, but wonderful producer, Torre de Beatti. You know what I want? Yeah. I haven't had it yet. Um, it's, not, it's not a Pecorino. It's not. But I want a, a, a Medio Pepe, Trebbiano, the Bruzzo. That just, I'm just, they're interesting I heard wines. they're interesting wines. They're interesting wines. And, and, and I love what I you see. said. Like I did. I know, I know. I looked them up. I'm like, mm. And there, that becomes yeah. a certain thing like – um, with like the pricing, like I'm like, uh, I'm like, uh, like I'm like, uh, I'm like, 120 bucks for a Trebbiano. Like most of that shit's usually jug wine. I'm like, uh, well, they're, they're they're interesting. Well, look, it's a curiosity. They've had these wines, you but can, for curiosity, you, yes. right? And you can taste them. And and they, this producer has made wines that you can taste back decades. And at the, you know they had been imported by Polliner, and you go and, and taste these wines. And I've drunk them, I've tasted them, I've enjoyed them. Now, when it comes time to buy it, like for me, to buy a bottle like that for a hundred and something dollars. I'm not going to do it, though. That's what I said. My thing is I'm going to find someone who has one. but like, Or I'm going to get a bu- bunch of friends and we're all going right. to like chip in together exactly. and see what we think. Right. 
And right, that's and, and that's a curiosity. Um, and that's just a curiosity. It was not a bottle I'd buy on my own, right. um, but um, I do love a good Montepulciano de Bruto. I don't drink so much of those. I drink, you know, I, I love Chianti. I like, you know, I, I just love Chianti. See now, most Chiantis for me, like, and you know, it could be I haven't had the right ones. Like they're just a little too something. There's something in them. Oh, I, I, I don't want to be. It has to. It has to be the producer. It has to be the reason. Right, you gotta, you gotta know. Yeah, you gotta know. It's it, but. Chianti, and, then, and that's Chianti the thing. Chianti Classico can be. You gotta fucking good. know, right? Like, yeah, there's it's, so it's, much it's to know. Which is why you gotta go to a place like, uh, whether it's Italian wine merchants. I don't. You you go to a specialty shop or you find a merchant that you know and say, "This is what I." I if you had a bad Chianti, keep you know, make record of it. What was it? Right. And this was bad. I want. I I heard Chianti's great. What am I missing? Right. Recommend a good one to me. That's what you know. That's kind of what you need to do. But, you know, that was gonna say. I, I drink a lot of sherry. I love, I love Oh yeah, that. no. Um, I have a good right. friend. Um, she loves sherry. You know, she imports Spanish wines, and it, a lot has to do with like. Sometimes I tell people like, people like, why do you love California wines? Like, because it was like the first wine country I visited. Like, so like I, I have a, you know, like I have an affinity for you know, like we all- nostalgia. Like, like you said, like what is going on in your brain while you're tasting? You you don't know what's in my mouth and my brain. Well, right? and we and we you know look, we all bat for the home team, right? We all or we all root for the home team. And I started drinking, you know, with California wines too, and evolved away from them because also they moved in this Parker style and right. whatnot. And but again, keeping the open mind, styles, and, and then they went to the the in pursuit of balance, where there was maybe a lot of pursuit but no balance. And it was really, <laughs> you know, all this acid. All and pursuit. <laughs> there's, but you, I always go back and like and taste American wines. You know, wines from Oregon can be fantastic. There are wines from Washington State that can be fantastic. And then no one wants to spend a lot of money, and you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money. But I love Zinfandel. I really love Zin. That is my. That's what got me into red wine. Yeah. People, people don't even know about Zinfandel. I think it can be a very terroir reflective. Exactly. Grape. You know, look at the, the whether it's you're talking about Morgan Peterson at Bedrock yep. or the Turley wines. He just made a so, white Zinfandel. I just saw it today. Morgan's hilarious. He is hilarious. He's like, I never thought two things would be bedrock and white zen, but it's a historic vineyard. Okay, sure. Out of Amador. Okay. And uh, it's more of an orange wine, and, okay, and we'll so, see how it turn, yeah. turns out. But but these are very, you know, it can be. these the, 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 the Rodney Dangerfield, another guy who's out of favor, right? But Zen was a Rodney so you, Dangerfield. You're, you're a hipper to who's like canceled than I am. Because I, I, just, I just fucking laugh. I'm like, it's a joke. I'm yeah. laughing. Um, but anyway, but, so, but Zinn, who cared? Nobody cares about Zinn, right? Because, oh, it's not prestigious like Cabernet. But they're boisterous. They're fun. Like, I think they're so American. I remember the first time. I'm not the first time, but like I hadn't had a Zinn in a while. And it was, and it was just, it was a Russian River Zinn. And it was like a negotiant wine. It was like someone bought it. And just slap their own label on it, and and that's how they sell their wine. Like you know, it's right. declassified from. Wine. I was like, oh my god, Russian River Zin is so good. Oh my god, Dry Creek Valley Zin is so good. Dry Creek Valley Zin is fantastic. I just and you know what and, talk, and so and I just have I have on a pre order from a wine site that shall remain nameless, but um, it's an NDA Howell Mountain Zin. Howell Mountain people, if you know yes. anything about Howell yeah, Mountain, like right. mountain fruit, then it's, it's fantastic. Fantastic, yes. and right. and it's some of the oldest vineyards that are in California, and a lot of them got ripped up after Judgment of Paris, which is sad. Like there were so many really good Italian varietal vineyards that were there, yeah. a lot of old vine, and the pursuit of the dollar, 
Um, but yeah, I love that you that that. Well, that's what you know, Morgan with the her- heritage, you know, their heritage site, yeah. and and their effort has been to retain some of these, and also uh, you know Robert Bialy, yep. you know, all trying to work with some of these old vineyards, and you know, they're sick, and and Joel Peterson that, has once in future. Yes. Oh my God. Awesome wines, yeah, wine. Wines are sick. Wines are great. Wines are great. <laughs> they're yes. so good. You guys need to drink some. Seriously, you need to look up old. You need to start drinking some old vines, Infidel. Um, it'll change your, you know. And they age. That's the thing. You know, oh yeah. I mean, go. I don't know if he's. I don't. I don't know if he's gotten more. But my neighbor friend Andre Mack, at you know, a little plug for Ann's sons. You know, he's got these old California wines on his list. Yeah. And some old Zins. I had. They're they're delicious. I, this was this was it was nineteen ninety nine. I had a nineteen seventy six Sebastiani Zinfandel. Okay. It was like it was freaking twenty three years old, and yeah. it's, it's like Bordeaux. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? Beautiful, and that bottle of wine probably costs three dollars, <laughs> right? You know, on release, right? And someone had just stored it properly. Yeah, two ninety. I'm sure it was two ninety. Yeah, and right. brought it, and we yeah. had we had a, a BYOB, and it was like I was like, um, you know, and then I don't know, it's, it's evolved in Zen, but like you said about, uh, and then um, Tegan. Pesolacqua. Yeah, dialing down some of the alcohol and really making it more terroir driven. That's right. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Amazing right. stuff. Amazing stuff. All right, so um, a <clears throat> couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, and I let this get away from me. I don't know how. So you were at least three years in New Haven. <laughs> yeah. What was your pizza spot? The spot. You, so, you, so you went to the spot. I went to the spot. Wow, she, she knows what's up. So... The no s- line. I, yeah, I know. No I, I know. The spot is was uh, you know. So you got Sally's Pepe's, and the spot. But, the but, spot is Pepe's, right? The spot is Pepe's, and it's the original oven. Yes, right. And they used to be, they used to have Elm City Brewing. It was a yeah. beer. It's long gone. Yeah. But I gotta say, recently I went to some parties. Have you been to some parties? No, I gotta go to some parties. Listen, God, it's West Haven. You I know where it is. Go. I know exactly where it is. But someone else had did a post. Wow. And um, oh, was it, it was a party. It was another. Oh, it was another place. The parties I got to go to because my cousins they they live in West Haven. Okay, I have cousins who live. I went to I went to undergrad in New Haven, um, and didn't even really mess with New Haven pizza. But then I lived there five six years ago. Yeah, because my wife she's from New Haven, and we got we reconnected, and so uh, so we were modern. We were modern. I lived around the corner. You know, I used to, we, we, it was easy to go. We, we lived yeah, very close easy, to modern. Yeah. modern. Modern was good. Yeah, I liked yeah. modern. But the spot, that's such a, that's such a call. And then good. also the, I'll give you a tip. If you go back um, for like the Yale reunion for the law of them, mm-hmm. yeah. um, go to bar, which is downtown. I've read about it. Yeah, I've read about it. And get the mashed it. potato and bacon. Oh really? Oh my God! See, I, I love. I just the only. And I know, and, the, and, the, and my wife, the born clam. and raised in New Haven, and does not even does but like like does not like artisanal pieces, but that that mashed potato and bacon. Bacon, okay. And then of wow. course the the, the clam, clam pizza the was clam. invented well, in New Haven. The, the, and the, you put the and lemon the, on it. The Zapartis oh. the Zapartis clam pizza is market price, but it is is fucking. It's amazing, <laughs> it's amazing pizza, and then actually, and then because what's really horrible going coming and going to Haven, of course, is ninety five. Yes, like hell. Ugh. But um, when we were there, there's Fat Cat. The, the the brew pubs are actually good. Yes, Fat was it like Fat Orange Cat Brewing makes some wonderful New England IPAs, and then what Tribe? I think Tribe or Tribal in Milford. 
Yeah, not there's a couple down in Milford uh, and, get, and Bridgeport if you, area. If you, I, yeah. but I think it's called Black Rock I want to say, tri- yeah, I think it's called Tribal. It's not Black Rock, but it's you're, you're close. You're getting close to Greenwich or something, but. When the traffic's really bad, just just Google the local. Go to I think it's called Tribal. It's like T R I B L okay. or something. Really good beers, and then they get back when the traffic clears. There you go. There you go. And then, <laughs> and so like, um, you were start exploring wine in Georgetown. Was there a bottle of wine? It didn't have to be a Georgetown, but what was a bottle of wine? You're like, oh, I get this. I want to know more about this. Yeah. Well, that was a 1985. Dangerville, um, Claude Chien. Uh, <laughs> and, and it was poured at a tasting. And I thought, oh, my God. Because I had tasted a lot of wines at that point. You mm. know, and I had tasted a lot. Of, there were Rieslings that I was really happy about. But this was transported me to another level. I love that. I love that. Like, well, I, it was like, whoa, what is in my mouth? What is happening? <laughs> That is so yeah. awesome. Lisa Granick, oh my God. I could talk to you for two more hours. Thank you so much for coming Thanks here. Thanks for um, having me. It was fun. Tell people where they can find you, where where they can find the book. You guys need to get this book, uh, how they can be a part of what you're doing. Well, I mean, well, anybody can email me, Lisa at GranickMW.com. Okay. I've got the I, – I have – I have the book at my house because I have had to buy a bunch of them. And then it was COVID. Um, it's also available on Amazon. Uh, but the, the better copy is for me because it, it has the pictures. Because I, I had them shipped. And, and I had them shipped from England. You and also, she'll sign it. Yeah, right. I'll sign it. They're also for sale at Chama Mama. There are two locations in New York City. Um, one, great Georgian food. One's on 14th Street, close to 7th Avenue. And the other one is, I want to say it's on Amsterdam. Is that where you posted that cool video of the... The guy singing? No, that was in Georgia. That was actually in Georgia. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, one of her nine posts, so and, you're not going to find her and, on social media. And but. my favorite wine bar, Terroir. Paul Greco has Love one, too. Love Terroir. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, everybody, this has been just a thrilling conversation, and um, we'll have to have her come back on at some point because it'll go deeper dive. Sounds fun. Drink uh, some other wines. Drink some more wines. Um, until next time, everybody, it's MJ. Cheers to the Mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers. PhD, lawyer, all kinds of crazy teachers. She knocked you check off all the boxes and all you wine drinkers out there. Everybody, peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.